For another perspective on this challenging situation, I visited with a patient's oncology nurse, Christy Brown, who commented on the patient's attitude. She's a delightful lady. She's just got a spirit about her. And her husband was by her side the whole time. I always knew if she wasn't feeling well because she wouldn't have makeup on. (laughs) She's one of those ladies that always had herself pulled together no matter what. And if she wasn't pulled together to a T, then (laughs) I knew something was wrong. (laughs) So now she was treated with paclitaxel, bevacizumab, and an experimental agent. Mm -hmm. What happened in terms of side effects and reactions to this therapy? She had... A couple of different things happened to her that I believe was a result of the taxol. She had a rash that was very uncomfortable, and we attributed that to the taxol. And then she also got peripheral neuropathy real bad. And she works at a computer all day and being able to type and walk even, you know, walk up the stairs of the parking garage to get to her work was very taxing on her. So those two symptoms, I believe, are what took her off the taxol. And then she stayed on the experimental agent for a little bit. And I believe it was her labs that took her off of that. And then she was just left with the bevacizumab, but that seemed to be doing well for her. And so we took her off the trial, but kept her on the bevacizumab. And how's her quality of life been on the bevacizumab? What kinds of problems, if any, have you seen with it? I don't believe she's had any problems, and it's been a long time. I think she's been on the bevacizumab for about a year, independently at least, without problems. When you do see problems with bevacizumab, what are some of the things that you see? Some of the simple things that we see are the nasal drainage and the bloody noses in the morning. That's very common. It's kind of an uncomfortable symptom to have, but yet it's worth it. The ladies move through it. You know, they get used to it and they know that every morning they're going to have to blow their nose and it might have some discharge and some bloodiness, but they move through it because it's usually just in the morning. The other problem comes if the patient wants to have surgery of any kind or the healing process can be problematic, but that's usually just in circumstances with patients that might be having surgery or need surgery. When you meet with a patient and kind of get them prepared from an education point of view to receive bevacizumab and paclitaxel, is a pretty common combination, what are the things that usually go over with them? Well, the paclitaxel, you know, we try to just emphasize the fact, you know, we do expect the neuropathy, try to cut that off at the past, let them know that they need to tell us about these things. Also, that their taste buds might change. Things aren't going to taste the same. We try to recommend doing like a sherbet or a lemon drop before they eat in order to, you know, have a fresh palate before they start eating because that's, you know, it's uncomfortable. It's not a fun side effect to have not being able to enjoy your food. I think that's it with the paclitaxel. And then really the Avastin is, you know, we've had so many patients and they do so well on it. It's not a drug that typically, you know, has a long laundry list of side effects. It's pretty easy to maintain. You know, I have several patients that are just on the long-term bevacizumab, and they live a very productive, easy life as far as not having an agent that's like a chemotherapy. What is the spectrum of what you observe in terms of how people respond when they're diagnosed with metastatic disease? And where did this woman fit in in terms of sort of how she coped with it? 
So after that initial visit with Dr. Miller and, you know, just getting her on study and on treatment, I think that was probably her worst fear was, you know, the day-to-day, I'm not doing anything. But once we got her on study, she had a plan. You know, we had appointments. She had treatments. She did so well. And she let us know what her side effects were and let us manage those well. She showed us her rash and made sure that we knew about that. But she's just been an excellent patient overall. And once that initial fear of the unknown was over and she had her plan going, she's done really well. What are some of the ways that you try to assess patients who have newly diagnosed metastatic disease to kind of figure out, you know, how they're coping with it and what their life is like? Well, I think you can pick up a lot when you walk into the room for the first time. I just recently saw a patient and she had about five people at least in the room with her. And, you know, our rooms aren't that big. (laughs) But she had her husband, her father, her mother, her friend, you know, just had a great support system. And I could tell that she was probably going to do very well. She had a person, she was from out of town, but she had a friend from Indianapolis all of them were there to support her and to get the information and get her going on a right path. You know, when the patient's all by themselves and they're scared and they're nervous and they're talking a lot, a lot of people, you know, when they get nervous, they just start talking and you can just tell. All you got to do is be still and watch and you can see how they're going to respond. And some people need more TLC than others. And those support systems are so key. What do you see in terms of the spectrum of how people approach getting information and where did she fit in? For example, you know, the one end, maybe somebody who's out on the web or their family's out on the web and they're bringing in tons of information as opposed to the other end of a patient who's not seeking information is really turning to the clinical team. Where did this woman fit in? She's an educated lady, but I believe that when she came to see us, she was getting her information from her physician. And I think as a result, she did better. She did better with her nerves and being able to calm down. A lot of times when we see a patient and they've decided to get their information from the web, they're very disturbed and very nervous. And even sometimes the things we tell them that are the truth, they may or may not believe because of all the things that they found out on the web. There's a lot of good resources out there, and we try to point them in that direction, but there's a lot of other resources that are not reliable, and we always tell patients, you know, the healthy patients are out there living life. They're not on the computer, but the patients that are not doing well and are complaining and having a very bad story to tell, you know, they're the ones who are in front of the computer, and that's what you're going to be reading. So it's a little discouraging sometimes when they come in with the preconceived notions. It certainly would be, I think, normal for somebody to feel pretty sad upon being diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer. So in the midst of all that sadness, how do you dissect out the patient who you think really is going to have a problem with depression or some kind of other psychologic disorder? Well, we do see that a lot. And when you ask these questions, sometimes one person or another, you know, comes to mind. And there's definitely a person that comes to mind in this situation where she was diagnosed with metastatic disease initially, and they were ready to pick out the coffins and get the funeral procession ready. And she's still alive years later and is doing very well. And 
you do have to really assess that situation to see if they are going to fall into that depressive mode. And the nice thing about the facility that I am at is that we have resources that we can call between social work and the psychological resources that we have that these people can see that are not us. You know, I'm a nurse. I was trained as a nurse, but I can certainly refer a patient to somebody who can help them a whole lot more than I can. And we have patients that see, you know, not only us, but the psychiatrists on a regular basis to keep them in check and to keep them healthy in their mind. 